Good morning, good news. It is good to be with you again today and to open the Word together. I'm excited. Today I will ask you, if you would, a special favor and blessing to me that I was taught by my professor at Moody. I ask you to pray with me and for me as I preach. Uh, Dr. Neely impressed on us when he was teaching us at Moody that that is an important thing to ask and uh, never so true as uh, as this morning for me. It's been a, a hard week um, and I'm, I, I'm not going to come up here today and lie and tell you that uh, all is well and I'm in an awesome place. I've been burdened in my heart a lot this week and I've actually wrestled a lot with the text to know exactly what to do in every way with it. And so I want you to know it's been, a, it's been a hard one for me, but it has been an edifying one for me, this sermon, this study. And I want to invite you guys to meet with me in this text and for all of us as the people of God to come around it, ready to receive from it. Um, I, I, just to open with, I always like to touch back to our previous sermon. And this one's really important because this week it's a bit of a part two in Nehemiah chapter four. Last week... In Nehemiah chapter 4, for those not with us, we looked at the people of God undergoing mockery as they pursued renewal. So we have the Judeans who are rebuilding their wall. And in the midst of this, the opposition from around, from the outer regions, are looking at them and they're saying, you guys aren't able to do that. You're not stonemasons. You're not a mighty people. You are a people who have been in exile and are not worthy of this kind of a task. You have overestimated yourselves. You're spreading yourselves too thin. You cannot do this. And so, under that mockery, last week... We talked about the dangers that were there for them, that they might become discouraged or angry and in either case, fail to get the work done that was given to them by the Lord. Be distracted by mockery. And my final exhortation to you was to not give in to anger, to not give in to discouragement, but rather to give over mockers to God and focus in on the work that he would have for us to do. But what I want to remind us of today, and what the text reminds us of today, beginning in verse 7, is that just because we handle mockery well, does not mean that the problems will go away. In fact, what we're going to see today is that those who were mockers may continue to become aggressors. And that will be what we look at today. The, the end of mockery and the beginning of aggression towards the renewing work of God. Uh, pray with me as we approach this. Father in heaven, I pray this morning that you would be with me this morning to bring your word. Uh, I, I feel my weakness upon me and I pray that you would uh, bring your word to your people in spite of that. Lord, I pray for your people today as they receive that they would have hearts tuned in. Lord, that your spirit would be at work in this place to uh, edify and to build up this body. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we begin to talk about aggressors, have you guys ever thought in the city, which can at times be a bit sketchy depending on where you go, about self-defense? Have you ever been out late at night walking about the streets and have someone walking really close behind you for a little bit longer than is comfortable and you wonder, is this, is this guy gonna, gonna whack me right now? What's, what's gonna happen? Has any time that that's happened, you've begun to wonder, what would I do if I was attacked? How do I know at what point I should fight versus when it would be best to flee. The same thing might be thought of home defense. At what point, if there's an intruder in my house, at what point am I going to fight them or run away? Or perhaps you've even thought about that in an active shooter situation. Many of you in schools here know the drills, the lockdowns and all that. It's like, sure, I know protocol will be to hide and to run when I can, but at what point? Would I say, I am going to fight and defend my ground? And then perhaps better yet, on any of those scenarios, how would I do it? How would I actually do that? Have we thought ahead of those kind of scenarios? Some of us may have. Some of us may have and have gone to the conclusion that they carry some kind of a weapon. Others may have taken self-defense classes. Others may decide, I'm not really that worried about happening anyway, and so I'm just going to leave that to the Lord and kind of not really worry about it. But when it comes to matters of the Lord's work and walking with God, we know from the Word and from lived experience that sooner or later we come under attack of various kinds, and we'll talk about that today. And what I want us to already begin considering is when do we stand and fight versus flee, and how would we go about that? All right, to that end, begin reading with me in the text, verse 7 of Nehemiah chapter 4. Again, that's Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. Now it came about, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairs of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause disturbance in it. One of the things we see immediately in this text, and if you've been with us, stands out very starkly is that the opposition has grown in this verse in a couple of ways. The first place in verse 7 where it lists the names, um, usually we're seeing Sanballat or Sanballat and Tobiah or maybe Sanballat, Tobiah and the Arabs. But in this case, we get this long string of all of them together and we're including the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. So the list has gotten longer here, and that's no mistake by our author. He's trying to help us understand that as much as 
the people of God here, as much as the Judeans are trying to ignore the mockery, ignore the opposition, just do their work, please leave us alone, as much as that's their stance, the opposition is growing and they're rallying people to themselves to help attack the work. And we see that they've also not only grown in number, but they've also, uh, they're ready to go a little further than they have been. Right? We've gone from hearing that this opposition was displeased, then we heard that they were mocking, and now we hear that they are conspiring together to cause disturbance. They're actually ready to take some kind of action. I mean, I don't know what maybe the initial thought was. You could think of, oh, we're going to go and steal some of their tools or tear down some of their scaffolding or whatnot and what have you. But they have gotten to the place as opponents that they want to actually stop, uh, I mean, uh, stop this work through action. So how then do they respond when they understand this? Because what we see in the text is one way or the other, because of this conspiracy, the Judeans came to understand that that was the case. Our opposition is growing and their resolve is also growing. And look at the way they respond in verse 9. But we prayed to our God. And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. We see in verse 9 there, a dual response that is going to become key as we consider how to defend ourselves or when to defend ourselves. We see the first thing they do is turn to God in prayer. They understand that there are those set against them and they know above anything and above all, we need our God to be with us in this. And so they pray. However, they do not stop at prayer. Right? They set up a guard. They, They take action of their own. They know there's vulnerability of the work, of the project, and they take the initiative to say, I think we've got to keep an eye on these guys. I think these guys mean us harm. And as the people of God today, I, w- I want you guys to know it is important for us to know when there's opposition brewing against us. And often, we really don't have to work that hard at that, right? Because... Sometimes you know the opponents of your work in ministry. The things that are are coming at you and plaguing you that won't allow you to do that, whether that's people or whether that's voices in your head of the accuser. Right? And we're going to get into that more as we go on. But know that we must be on the alert to know what the opposition is. And we need to be willing... To say we depend on God, we reach out in prayer, but also at some point when it comes to seeking renewal in our lives, when it comes to seeking the Lord's work, that we will take action. We will take steps of our own, right? In submission to Him. Then in verse 10, what we see is that although they were responding in a way well, right? They're they're responding well to this And that they're reaching out to God. And they're taking steps. But there's also the fact that it has affected their morale. Look at verse 10. 
Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. This little verse, this little uh, song is actually thought to be a chant that these workers would sing or, or chime in, or if you're familiar with military or, or uh, law enforcement culture, a jody that you would sing or chant while you worked. And it's interesting, this negative tone of it, because they, they, we see them here with the voices of the mockery from the previous text echoing in their own words. You see, it has affected them to know that so many people are against them. And I want us to know today, much as we talked last week, don't, don't be foolish to think when there's opposition against pursuing the Lord, when there's opposition against a standard of holiness in your life, when there's opposition against evangelizing your neighbor or at work, don't be surprised that will affect you. It will. It is discouraging to us, right? But at the same time, what we see here is interesting because although the text is discouraging, they are maintaining the work anyway. Another thing that is interesting is that in this song, if you notice, the, uh, the content of the song isn't about the opposition. The opposition has discouraged them, but their discouragement is still with whether or not they're going to be able to carry out the work, particularly in uh, the second line, yet there is much rubbish. I had to take this as an aside this morning because it just caught me where I was at. How many of you can sense and feel when you're going to build up your walk with the Lord, you're trying to help build up a disciple, or you're trying to build up something in the church, that one of the hardest things and the most discouraging things isn't the actual building effort per se, it's clearing the rubble to even get started, right? It's all of the pain. It's all of the hurt in our past. It's everything that has been done for so long if it's in an institutional setting. And trying to get beyond that is what can be so discouraging. And that's what we see in this text. That is what discouraged them as much as the opposition. Even at this, that is what is in their lamenting song. Uh, anyway, as, as we keep reading, we see that There is, by the author, this attempt to show you the intensifying nature of the opposition yet one more time in verse 11. It says this, And our enemy said, They will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. Well, this is next level stuff, isn't it? This is vitriol and hatred, ready to take human life, ready to essentially go to war with these Judeans just so that they cannot build up a wall and be restored to being a healthy, strong, vibrant community in the land. I want us to know 
it didn't start here. This is what we've been seeing. You might think, how on earth? I mean, are these guys just bored? Sanballat, Tobiah, the Ammonites, the Arabs? Like, what's going on that what this community over here bothers them so bad that they would, they would come and go to war, put their own lives at risk to kill them and stop this work? It, it's, it's irrational, right? If we really think about it, this is an irrational thing that the opposition would be doing. And so we might think to ourselves sometimes, if we fall under that kind of opposition, well, why would anyone attack us? Why would anyone go that way? Because today this still happens, okay? Think of our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Home churches hunted down, people taken in by the police, people executed for starting churches. Uh, It's not our experience here in this same physical way, but there is still uh, the presence in this world of a darkness that grips people and then leads them to attack the church of God in this way, to the point of death. And what I want us to see there is that ultimately, this irrational hatred of the people of God and of the church today arises from the powers of darkness within them, right? Paul gets into this in the New Testament where he he tells us that we don't war against the powers of the flesh, but the principalities and the powers of the air. The spiritual forces are behind this, right? And in that, we will see that it will still come out today. But again, as we try to understand how this text would inform us, we need to know a little bit about where that opposition is going to correlate to us. I've already mentioned that the physical opposition, the the physical attack on the people of God is mostly not as much here. It's mostly in, in foreign settings, in closed countries. But it does happen here, doesn't it? Right? How many times have we heard about a shooting in a church where someone angry at the church physically attacked them? It can happen. And in that sense, Ask our question again, at what point, physically, when under attack, do you flee? And at what point do you fight and say, we will defend the work? I'll leave that for now. And then, I don't think, though, that we can look at this and leave it to the physical attack. Because, again, I think this is a a sense of the spiritual darkness that comes at us and tries to stop our work. And in that progression from mockery to attack especially in today's climate, there is another sphere, the legal sphere, that comes up. And in the church today, we are beginning to see in America a time when we are at danger from legal attack. We are seeing right now in our church one way that we're taking a defense of that in this amendment to the Constitution on statements of sexuality. That is essentially something we are implementing so that legally we would be safe to hold true to our values. Because there are those legally that on matters of gender and sexuality who are not accepting where we stand. I don't know how close we are to it in our country at this point, but the parameters legally of what is hate speech are being toyed with and played with to try to prevent those who would call sin, sin, 
from being able to proclaim that openly and publicly and calling for repentance. Right? So there are, at this time, legal attacks going on on the people of God. And praise the Lord, we do have people who are responding to that. So I just want to draw that to your attention. And then, thirdly, another way that we see this attack still coming today is through spiritual warfare. This is what's going to catch most of us where we're at today. The same devil who was at work in the day of Nehemiah to try to stop this renewal, this restoration, the same man, the same devil that affected Sambalat, Tobiah, and the rest is still at work today and he wants to stop the work of God. He is trying to stop the work of God. He will come at you with the voices that say you cannot, you should not, and that you are not good enough. The Lord would not love you. The Lord would not save you. Right? There is that attack there. Everything designed to the purpose of saying, lay down and quit. Do not build up your church. Do not build up your family. You don't, don't worry about whether you read your Bible. You know you don't understand it when you read it anyway. Right? These voices that he'll spit at us just to get us to quit. So I want us to know as we, we keep moving forward that the attack that we see in Nehemiah still happens, though in very subtle and different ways. But back to our story. You see, the Judeans were in trouble here because the, the plan here is a surprise attack, right? As we read this narrative, we should be pulled in to say, oh my goodness, what is Nehemiah going to do now? Because the enemies are mounting up, there's a lot of them, and they are going to invade and kill these people. That's where we're at. So what happens next? Look at verse 12. And it came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, you must return to us. Again, the plot is uncovered. Thankfully, they weren't very good at keeping secrets. And the people of God find out about it. And in studying this, there's some language issues. Some of you may have a translation issue on verse 12. You may be like, what he said sounds super different than what I say. Mine actually says, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. As I've studied that through, what it is pretty clear to me that is going on is that the statement is, you must return to us. And the reason that is the statement, what's going on here, the people from the villages around close to where Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs are, where they have amassed this opposition, because they live near them, they can tell what's going on, right? They know. The secret is out. And the people in those villages sent representatives to work on the wall. So because they're all fellow Judeans, they care for the welfare of their capital, Jerusalem, and they've sent workers and what happens is the folks back home get wind of this and they say, oh, my boy's going to get killed. And so they send runners. And when they send their runners, they're trying to implore them, you've got to come back. Now, I want us to hear this. This is 
friendly discouragement, if you will. This is others in the people of God. This is other Judeans. These are other people with a vested interest in the work of God being done in the restoration of God that will work for them saying, let's quit. And in your life and in mine, when you're going through any of those forms of attack, when you're going through that spiritual attack, when you've been trying to work in ministry and it just feels like everybody keeps coming at you, coming against you for some reason, you're experiencing that opposition, you're always going to have that fellow believer who loves you and and means no bad intention, who's just going to say, yeah man, you probably ought to get out of there. Probably better quit. Now, I want to balance that today because sometimes we could find ourselves in an unhealthy situation, right? That we should get out of. But also, we have to ask ourselves that question. At what point do I lay down and quit? At what point do I quit on that attempt to do my Bible study? At what point do I quit at that attempt to do my study on theology? At what point do I quit on my attempt to have that Bible study time with the kids before bed as I try to build them up in the Lord? At what point do I quit trying to get to prayer meeting because it's a hassle and messes with the schedule? At what point do I quit? Because these folks have come to that point where they have laid down and been ready to call it a day. Say, okay, you win, Sanballat, you win, Tobiah, we'll come home. So on what hinge, then, is that text going to turn? The text is about to shift. And as I read these next two verses, think about what is causing the change. Verse 13. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the spaces behind the wall and exposed places. And I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. And he said this, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, your wives, and your houses. It's a powerful shift from the negative tone we've seen in the beginning verses. And what I will submit to you is the difference is we have had a leader spring out of the woodwork who is pushing the people of God to face the opposition and to fight for what they are building. Nehemiah, as he narrates this, is recounting this. And Nehemiah, where others are seeing the reason to flee, he sees the need to take immediate action, to take steps. Right? Because that becomes a question for us too, doesn't it? If I'm under attack and I'm tempted to give up and just give in to the oppressor, then the the question is, do I do that or do I take some step to counter him? Right? Right? We're going to keep pushing into that. Let's look at the steps that Nehemiah takes. Nehemiah immediately stations men in these low spaces behind the wall. What what he's doing is very smart, okay? Basically, we've just heard a couple times that the wall was filled in all the way around, okay? So you have a wall around this city completely synced up. There's no gaps in it except for the gates. 
but some of the portions of the wall are higher than other portions of the wall. And apparently, from the outside, you could still see in from certain areas at the low places. Okay? And so he gets the people together. He says, get weapons in your hands and assemble in these places where they will be able to see you from the outside. Nehemiah sends a message. The first thing he knows to do when he is attacked is to make sure the aggressors know they're in for a fight. He's going to hold his ground. You guys do what you got to do, Sam Ballant and Tobiah, but we will be ready and we will be holding the ground. We're not going to give in. We're not going to stop the work. This is a head-to-head battle that must take place then, if that's the way you're going to have it. And I think I wanted to be careful here because the church is always in danger and we as individuals are always in danger of being over-dogmatic, right? Uh, Of trying to just be hard-nosed on things in a way that's unhealthy and doesn't relate well to the world. That's not at all what I'm talking about here, okay? I wouldn't want anyone to come away from this thinking that. Be always full of grace and love towards the unbeliever and towards the attacker, right? We said that about mockers last week. The same is true for aggressors. We need to love them. Love those who persecute you. But at the same time, they need to know on our stances and positions and principles in the church, we ain't going nowhere. Okay? That's important. We will hold our ground. And that's important if it is a matter of physical opposition. It's important that they know, oh, we don't just go in and do some terrorist um, activity at a local body and then that church is going to close. In persecuted church areas across the world, they're really good at that, guys. And praise the Lord for the grace and strength he gives for that. Because there can be a church that's bombed out, burned down, otherwise physically attacked, and the believers that are left will hold the faith, meet up in another house, stay strong. The church in China did that for years while none of us in the West had any idea what was going on, right? So that's one way they held their ground. And then legally, that needs to be also known. People need to understand that churches like this, as we accept something like this to our Constitution even next week, right? They need to know, okay, we may mess with the laws and all of that, but... To the last that we can in the church, we're going to try to be wise. And we know, legally, we have some footing too, right, in this country. And we will be in, you, I mean, if you're going to try to shut us down on those grounds, you will be in for a legal battle. Because we aren't going to just look at the opposition, even if the opposition is the majority, and cave. We don't just give in to the popular opinion, we stand on the word. And finally, on that spiritual realm, brothers and sisters... We need to be ready to hold our ground. And whenever the devil comes at you with those voices, whenever discouragement comes at you, whatever circumstances are thrown at you, I hope that you are ready to be at conflict and at war and torn. Okay? Because living this Christian life puts us there a lot of times. I've been there a lot myself lately. Where it would be so much easier just to give in on something, but you know what's right. And, you know, honestly, the difficult part about that is that leaves you in a state where you're constantly 
draining some energy there. Because you're fighting internally with yourself. You want to quit. You want to lay down. You have to keep yourself going. You have to keep pressing into that thing that would be so easy to let go of. But that thing, whether it's Bible study, whether it's ministry, whether it's loving that person that you're just ready to cut out of your life, all of those things, we've got to press into that and maintain that struggle. We'll talk about that a little bit coming up as well. So then, we see that we need leaders, though, don't we? As I exhort each one of you to that, the, the difference maker in this text was Nehemiah stepping up as a leader. And what I want to encourage each of y'all is to consider when opposition comes on a group, whether it's in your family, whether it's in this church, whenever you see a group of people around you who are suffering, or even just one person who's struggling to keep up the fight, think of the difference you can make in their life if you'll just try to lead them through that. If you'll be the one who will step up and say, i still got a little bit of fight left in my tank. So come on, let's stand together and let's fight that. Let's walk through that together. Right? And correspondingly, if you wind up in a place where you're not in the place to be that leader, and that leader steps up for you, have the humility to recognize that and follow them, right? Because that's what we see here in the text. They follow Nehemiah, right? He gives this, this great motivational pep talk. It's a beautiful thing, because not only did he have a plan for the circumstances, he also had a motivation for the people, where he points them to God. Look at verse 14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. Right? That's our courage and that's our hope under any attack is to point to the Lord. Do not think... I've, I've given much uh, sense of imperatives to you guys to stand strong. Do not think you can do it on your own. You are dependent on Jesus Christ with you, the power of His Spirit indwelling you to do any of this. That's why we talked about prayer at the very beginning and why we see it again here. He points to the Lord. Remember your dependence. On Christ, it is key. And also, he reminds them that he fights for others. As we just spoke of. He fights for others. It's not just about you. Whether we're under an attack ourselves, or whether we see a brother under attack, the way you respond to that needs to be informed by your love for those around you. Because that love will bring strength. For the battle. Love will bring strength for the battle. So we're going to move on now to the, to the last set of verses. And, and what we're going to see is that uh, the Lord works to uh, protect them through this courageous act that they take. And even at that, they're going to enter a season where they need to be constantly prepared. Look with me, verse 15. It happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan that all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. And it came about from that day on that half of my servants carried on the work while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. As for the builders, 
Each wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servants spend the night within Jerusalem so that um, there may be a guard for us by day and a labor by night. So neither I, my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes. Each took his weapon even to water. The first thing I want to highlight in this section is God's gracious protection of his people when they stand up ready to fight. Okay? What we have seen in this text is that the people of God never had to actually fight this battle. Right? And that's key because the the cry in this text is, our God will fight for us. It is God who dissuades these opponents from attacking them uh, through the action that Nehemiah takes to do a display of force, right? But let's face it, that we have to be able to recognize when we take human action with the desire to uh, dissuade an attacker, we have to recognize that the way the opponent responds is entirely on us, right? What I'm saying is the danger is that we would think we really scared them off, right? Yeah, you better run. Yeah, we get really bold. We get really impressed with ourselves when we take a stand for the Lord, right? But what we see here in the very first verse after his motivational speech, verse 15, is that it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan and returned to the wall, right? He gives God the credit for frustrating their plan. Nehemiah doesn't say, well, gee whiz, I guess I really came up with a fast one on them like that, putting my guys in the gaps of the wall. Wow, I'm smart. He doesn't point it to what he did. He points it to the way God was protecting his people. It's essential for us in the church. We must give glory to God for protecting us. Because I want to tell you this. When God doesn't get the glory for what he does in our lives, he will often remove it from you so that you will learn to appreciate it. Right? You claim the credit for what he did, and you're going to have some problems. Ask Moses. Right? I want us to be mindful that never take credit, whether it's on this topic or any other topic in your life, never take credit for what God has done. Always be ready to point back to him. And another thing that I want us to know, and this will be the closing thought, is that we never want to turn our back on opposition after we think it's over. Okay? 
This is actually kind of rule number one in a fight. This is self-defense 101. Do not turn your back on your opponent. It's true in a physical altercation, and it's true of people who are attacking you. Uh, that we see here, that's what we see in the rest of this text, is that they're basically saying, oh, we know they didn't attack us this time. It seems like they've been dissuaded from their attack. However, we're going to stay ready. We understand it's a season when we're going to need to both build and be watchful. And guys, sometimes that season can go on for a while. Again, if you think about our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church across the world, they live that life day in, day out, year in, year out. That's their existence. Constantly going house to house, having to be watchful, and still try to build the wall. Right? For them, this must feel extremely relevant. For us, I think it's relevant too, but again, we have to abstract a little bit to some, some ways attack comes in less physical forms. Especially spiritually, I think of the need to maintain your watch for the attacks of the devil. Whether that is uh, a, a doubt, a fear, something he's calling to mind that you think you've conquered, you think you're past that anxiety, it's not going to cause you any problems. Don't turn your back on it. Don't take it for granted. Because it can still affect you, right? And even beyond that, just your personal sin, right? This is some of the most detrimental things that attacks our walk with the Lord and decimates our homes. It decimates our personal lives. It decimates our churches. The fact that we walk in continued open sin, not confessing it. At some point we turn our back on that. We think, oh, I've gotten a little bit better. Maybe it'll be fine. And we don't take it seriously anymore. And we have to realize that there's things that come against us that we have to keep a constant eye on. Now, as I tell you that, that sounds very morbid, doesn't it? And for me, is always uh, makes my heart hurt to think that I will still be at conflict. Uh, for me, I approach conflict very strongly. That sense that I mentioned to you earlier where when you square off to opposition and you're resisting it, especially internally, the way that that wears you down, I feel that very strongly. And the thought that I would be in a long season where there was that kind of prolonged attack is difficult. And in that, I I point you finally to the hope that is the return of Christ. When you realize how certain opposition is in this world as we fight to build up the church, as we fight to build up our walk with the Lord, it's, it's disheartening. But what I want to remind us today is that there was coming a day, a time, and a place where it's already been built up. Where glorification will not be earned and fought for and tooth and claw but it will be given as a gift at the return of Christ and we will have peace and we will have rest from this because the renewal and the restoration for the Christian is sure and will take place and I hope that that can give you courage today to go out and to know as you approach the difficulties that it is walking with the Lord because it's not easy 
that the Lord is with you and the Lord will bring you victory. Pray with me today as the music uh, musicians come. Lord God, I come to you today and I ask you that you would uh, just love on this people, that you would continue to give them courage and strength for the various things that come up in their lives that would keep them from walking with you. Lord, we depend on you for every need. We can do nothing on our own. And Lord, we give glory to you for uh, sustaining us in every victory that you give because it is, it is your victory. Uh, just humble us today in that truth and delight our hearts in your gospel. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.